Welcome to part two of this mini series. It's only two episodes of the root causes of Hashimoto's. And this is probably one of the most important things that we have talked about ever on the health with Hashimoto's podcast, because if you don't know what your root causes are, if you don't know what your triggers are, if you don't know what's going on under the surface, then you're always just kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall, trying different things to feel better, but never with a specific strategy that is unique to you. When you know exactly what's going on in your body that's causing the problems, then you can take specific actions so that it will work for you. There's so much advice online your doctor has advice for you, your practitioner, whoever you see, there's always advice and there's always things to do. But if we don't take into consideration what is causing the problem, then what we do might or might not work. And nobody wants to waste our energy trying different things, not knowing if it will work. Not any of us want to waste our money doing the same thing, like buying different products, buying different supplements, buying different modalities, not knowing if it's actually addressing the root cause. And we don't want to waste our time and our money and our energy. We don't want to waste our focus. And, you know, it's not just that we don't want to waste the time in doing the different things. No, we don't want to waste the time where we could be feeling better. After all, that is the goal. We want to feel better as soon as possible because we have a life to live. We are busy and there are things to do other than being stuck in our Hashimoto's symptoms. And of course, Hashimoto's symptoms vary based on the person and what's going on in your life. That's the thing with autoimmune diseases, especially Hashimoto's, where every single cell of your body is impacted. It means that each person can feel the effects of that differently. And the effects are not always the same as the cause. In fact, they're hardly ever the same. But you might have one cause, one root cause of your Hashimoto's and you'll have one set of symptoms, somebody else might have a completely different root cause, and yet their symptoms are the same as you. And it goes the other way too. You might have one root cause or, you know, different root causes and have some symptoms, and then somebody else has the exact same root causes and totally different symptoms. You are a unique person. There is nobody else on earth that is exactly like you. And that is why understanding these root causes is so important because we have to understand our own selves so that we can take action. Now, I'm going to quickly review the eight different triggers plus the other two things. I know at the beginning of last week's episode, I said there are six triggers or six root causes. I can't remember exactly what I said. And that used to be when I started out the podcast, that used to be what I would say, because that's what I had found in the research. Well, now I have found that, you know, there's the three main things. There's a genetic component, a gut component, and then a trigger. And now I have figured out through the research and looking at different things that there's eight different triggers. So I guess eight plus three, there's 11. 
when I'm looking at my slides for Hashimoto's Decoded, which is the workshop that I did a couple months ago, um, I have the eight triggers listed out. So I'll probably continue to say that there are eight triggers. You know from listening to part one that the triggers are just one component. There are also a genetic cause and a gut cause. So quick recap of those eight and then we will dive into six, seven, and eight because that's where we left off. So number one, again, these are in random order. They are not in any type of you know prevalence order. Number one, hormone changes. Two, iodine. Three, low vitamin D. Four, food reactions. Five, environmental chemicals. Six, stress. Seven, blood sugar issues. And eight, infections of any kind. So we left off with talking about environmental chemicals. And part of the thing is all of these triggers or most of them are in some way, they're a stressor on the body. The environmental chemicals are a huge stressor on your liver. Your liver processes every um, every chemical, everything that is in your body, it is like the big filter. And if it gets backlogged, which it can very easily, especially just with estrogen, um, we used to talk about estrogen dominance. And I could talk about that in another episode if you want, let me know. Anyway, the liver can get very overwhelmed and then it cannot process as well as it used to and it recirculates things. It's like, oh, I'm going to get you on the next pass through. So it sends the blood back around or, you know, it doesn't clean out that chemical. It just sends it back around in the blood supply until it comes back through and then hopefully it will have time to process that one out. So even environmental chemicals can be a stressor on the liver, but let's talk specifically about stress in general. Now on the logo that you see on the cover art of this podcast, there is a five-petaled flower. That five-petaled flower stands for the five parts of the whole you, body, mind, spirit, diet, environment. Each of those components can have stress. I firmly believe that in today's age, in our culture, every single person has stress as one of their triggers. You probably have more than one trigger, but stress is so prevalent. So then you get to look at this picture of the whole you and figure out where is the stress the most? Where is it impacting you? Is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it spiritual? Is it environmental? Is it dietary? And I have episodes on many of those different types and what you can do because stress is such a big deal. Some stressors are pretty obvious, like we feel stressed, like, you know, we're stressed about money. Every time we go to the grocery store, we realize that prices have gone up. That stresses us out. So that's like usually the kind of stress that we think about when we hear, I am stressed or is stress a trigger for you. But there's also stressors that are physical stressors. If you heard my episode this past winter about my flare, I had some crazy like itchy skin going on. So not only was there a stressor that kind of triggered that flare, but then the actual itching became a stressor. The physical, like I just wanted to crawl out of my body type feeling that was a stressor. It was a physical stressor. And then that turned into an emotional stressor. And, and there was this horrible cycle 
there's also spiritual stressors. I did a whole episode on spiritual stress because it's something that we don't really think about. But you were created to live and to be um, in a, an environment of love and harmony. And when you have, um, well, when you're not in that, then there is a la layer of spiritual stress. Um, dietary stress, that would be any time that you're eating something that is hard on your body. We already talked about some of those environmental chemicals, but also the dietary part would be forgetting to eat or eating too much and then having the blood sugar kind of go crazy. That one is also physical stressor. Everything is related to everything. And sometimes it can be hard to just like say, this is only the body. This is only the diet. Like we can't really do that like we can so easily on a flower. Like, you know, here's one petal. It's not really how it works in real life, but you get the idea. So stress is trigger number six. And I believe that stress is a trigger for everybody. Number seven for the triggers is a specific stressor, and that is blood sugar issues. Now, you might be saying, Esther, I don't have diabetes. Of course, that's not a problem for me. Mm, wrong. So you do have blood sugar. Every time you eat anything that has a carbohydrate in it, that is a sugar. It goes into your blood, and then your blood your body responds by saying, oh, hey, there's too much sugar, if there is, and it releases insulin. Insulin is your fat storage hormone. When insulin is released, it goes into your blood to clean it up. Like there's too much glucose here. There's too much sugar. So the insulin escorts that right into the fat cells. Even though like you just ate it still will take that right to the fat cells. And that's why it can be important um, to move your muscles a little bit after you eat because that tells your body, hey, let's actually use this sugar for energy. Let's not take it straight to the fat cells. But if you have a huge spike of you know a lot of glucose or blood sugar hitting your blood all at the same time, your body is going to release a lot of insulin to take care of that. That's how it's supposed to work. And if you have a huge amount of insulin dumping into your bloodstream all at the same time, it takes care of all of the glucose, and then you can still have insulin hanging out after it's taken care of the blood glucose, and then the insulin is like, hey, hey, I need some more stuff to take care of, and that's when you can feel hangry, and your body feels like it's literally starving because the insulin is looking for blood sugar to take care of and it doesn't have any so that's why you can eat a really big meal i think of chinese food for some reason because when i got to a chinese restaurant uh, back when we lived in alaska so early 2000s we would go and eat my husband and I, and we would split this huge meal. It was so good. And I would leave so full. And then like an hour later, I was starving. I'm like, how can I be hungry? I know I just ate a ton of food. But then you think back to it and it was like white rice, which basically goes straight into sugar as soon as you eat it. And it was like sweet and sour chicken or something. So it had a lot of extra sugar in it. And I'm sure that we always had a dessert. I don't remember. 
Anyway, I would leave that restaurant feeling very full. And then an hour later, I would be so hungry. And that's why, because of that blood sugar spike, which spiked the insulin, which got rid of all of the glucose, and then you feel hungry. So that's one type of blood sugar issue. Anytime those spikes happen, it increases the dis-ease, the disease in your body whether you're diabetic or not. Now, the other problem with blood sugar is when it gets low, when you have those episodes of feeling hangry, research shows us that when your blood sugar is low, when you're feeling shaky, when you're feeling hangry, that's actually more of a stressor on you than when it's high. And that seems to be especially impactful for Hashimoto's. And I don't know why, that's just what I have learned, that the lows seem to be more impactful and more of a trigger than the highs. So that is trigger number seven, blood sugar issues. I do have an episode about how to control that. I will link all of the episodes down below, um, or you can always go to the website healthwithhashimotos.com, and most of the episodes have their own page over there. All right, that brings us to trigger number eight, and this is infections of any kind. As you know, Hashimoto's is an autoimmune problem. Autoimmune diseases are when your body decides to attack itself. Auto, meaning self, and immune, describing that it's your immune system attacking itself. Your immune system is designed to attack foreign invaders, but sometimes it gets confused and it starts attacking yourself. Often, this is because your immune system has been um, stressed too much. Maybe it's been overstimulated by other infections. Maybe it's been overstimulated by things like vaccines. Traditional vaccines give your body diseases so that your body learns to identify them so it can attack them. There has been a link between vaccines and autoimmunity, and I'll talk about that in just a second. So imagine your immune system is kind of like a security guard. Imagine your immune system is like a security guard and that security guard is working multiple jobs because none of them pay very well and to stay awake because he's working his, you know, second or third shift in a row, he's drinking a lot of energy drinks. So now super tired yet amped up, he might react wrongly when somebody jumps around the corner and says, hey, you know, that person might be a coworker coming around, like just randomly just walking around the corner saying, hey, how are you? But the security guard is so tired and so amped up that it re he reacts wrongly. That's kind of like your immune system. It's been overtaxed and overstimulated and it can react wrongly and it can start attacking you. That's kind of like autoimmune diseases. And it's just the example that stands out in my brain because it's so vivid. Like nobody ever wants to react wrongly to a person. And yet that's what your immune system is doing all the time. So infections of any kind can be a trigger because they're hard on your immune system. If you are completely healthy, your immune system can function better. In general, if you are dealing with an infection of any kind, that is a stressor on your immune system. So then we get the question, are there specific types of viruses or anything that cause Hashimoto's? And no, infections of any 
kind. One of the bonus episodes I did was actually a book review and I gave it my first red flag instead of stars. I could not give it any stars. I gave it some red flags instead because that book was built on the premise. Well, it was built on the premise of no research, which drives me crazy if you know <laughs> if you know me. Um, but it was also built on the premise that it is one specific virus that causes thyroid problems. In fact, that author or that speaker calls it the thyroid virus, and that's not true. It's the Epstein-Barr virus, and many, many, many people have exposure to the Epstein-Barr virus. We might have it latent in our body, but there is nothing that says that that is thyroid-specific. It is a virus. It's the same thing with COVID. Now, COVID is a virus, and it's taxing our body and it's impacting our immune system. And are we seeing increases in autoimmune problems ever since, you know, that hit the world? Yes, we are. And are we seeing an increase again since the vaccines hit? Yes, we are. But we've known that vaccines can also be a trigger back, I don't know, decades. So that's not new either. That is you know, I lump that in with the infections of any kind because a traditional vaccine is like a mini infection. It's priming your body to go attack something. And so you, I would consider a traditional vaccine to be in that same category. I have a book review that is percolating in my head. I finished the book. It's really good. And one thing that caught my attention was the author was in Africa actually. And this was, I don't know, a decade ago. And when the doctor in Africa, like a one, one tiny building hospital, when he saw her, he said to her that the vaccines cause autoimmune problems. And this was, you know, a, a decade ago in Africa. And why don't we hear that in the U.S.? It just blew me away when I heard that on the book. I was listening to the audio because this doctor, where we think that uh, you we're so we're so prideful in the U.S., we think that we know it all. Well, no, this doctor was way ahead of us, and um, yeah. So anyway, back to infections and vi vaccines; those can be a trigger. So that is number eight, infections of any kind. And like I said, we put vaccines in those. You know, vaccines also have environmental chemicals in them. So you could put them in whatever number that was. Um, environmental chemicals was trigger number five. So as you can see, just because we can name something, it doesn't mean that it will neatly fit into one little box. Like, you know, this is my specific trigger. You probably have more than one. But now this is when you get to look at what's going on. So everything that you've learned in the last episode and in this episode, now you get to look at it and say, hey, what's my story? What do I need to focus on? And in Hashimoto's Decoded, we talked about what to do next. And um, just briefly, I'm going to tell you, and then 
I will offer Hashimoto's Decoded again coming up so that you can get the whole story. Um, but first you want to identify what is going on and then you want to make a change, not tons and tons of changes, just make a change. And then you're going to give that time and then you're going to evaluate and then you are going to repeat. And that is why I created the Holistic Hashimoto's course to streamline this process so that you know exactly what is next. And in the, Hashi in the Holistic Hashimoto's course, I take you through all of the triggers so that you don't have to figure out, oh, how can I hit this trigger? And how can I address this root cause? I take you through all of them in a very simple way so that you can address your own unique root causes because there's nobody else on earth like you and you have to take your own path. That's what I take you on in the Holistic Hashimoto's course. It will be opening up again next month. It will be opening in October. The founding round is just about done. And so I will, you know, finish making any changes that were recommended and then open it up again in October. I cannot wait to welcome you into that course so that you can say, hey, okay, these are my root causes. And now I'm going to walk on this path so that I can... Um, I have to be careful with my wording here. Like I can't make claims. I can't make promises. Um, I can't say that you are going to feel better, but what I can promise is that you are going to address your root causes. And when you address your root causes, then you should see changes downstream of those root causes or, you know, up in the leaves, however you want to look at the metaphor. I hope this has been super helpful. We have talked about vitamin D in the past, and that is what we're going to talk about on the next episode, because in the Northern Hemisphere, it is just about fall. I think it will be officially, officially fall on the calendar when next week's episode releases. And we're going to talk about how to pick a supplement. So if you listened to the previous episodes on vitamin D, you'd be like, okay, I know that I want to supplement with a vitamin D, but now how do I pick a good one? How do I know if I'm wasting my money or if I'm getting a good one? That's what we're going to tackle in the next episode. I will see you then. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Please be sure to discuss any concerns and plans with your trusted healthcare professional.